Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to another episode of Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know. I'm your host, Nancy Weber, here with my trusty co-host... Miranda Selwood. How are you, Miranda? I am so well. Good. I bought a new dress. You it do? has pockets. It's I'm excited. Fancy. It's uh, It's very stylish. It's very Day of the Dead themed. Uh, yeah, but not... Or just not, candy skulls But in not general. in a creepy way. No, it's very Somehow, pretty. These are happier than some of those days. Anyway, we're off the topic. We're off the topic. We have a guest with us today. KB and Julie cannot be here, but the guest more than makes up for it. (laughs) Sitting across the (laughs) table is none other than... Merrily Atia. Hi, guys. How are you going, Merrily? I'm going really good. Today is a good day. Now, I got your name right, correct? Yes, you did. Wonderful, because I know that there's been some controversy about people getting your name wrong. Oh, yeah, just literally. Like, even my boss is calling me Melissa at the moment. But I just get every spelling. Um, pronunciation's usually okay if they're reading it, but, like, every single spelling in an email. Well, we'll uh, I'll, I will try and get it right in the show notes. So It sounds like merrily we roll along, mm. but mm. it's not spelled right. No, there's a hyphen, isn't there's there? There's a lot more E's. And there's a couple of apostrophes. Hyphen um, in the last name. My full Some a unexpected. Silent, a silent K. <laughs> my full name is, like, basically, like, seven words long. Well, next you can't just, just you can't just yeah. say that without telling us what your full name is. Merrily Jessica Savelle Etia Russell. There we go. <laughs> we are speaking to a seven-named person. Thank you. It just needs a number after it. The third. That's my favourite number to put after someone's name. I am the second of Merrily Etia's. So, at the second. Well, now the responsibility is on you to, to give it to a third. <laughs> to give it to a third. Okay. Um, well, just before oh, we get oh, off no. that, shout out mm-hmm. to my favourite son, Benedict Braxton Smith the third. Yep. Who? Yep. The Esquire, I believe, is also part. I think of the you title. added the Esquire. That's not part of the original. I don't think I ever played into this game. <laughs> All right. But we are here to get to know a little bit about Merrily before we get to know a little bit about Finding Neverland. Is it time? It's time. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. That's very bright and very happy. I liked it. Thank you. Merrily, which musical character would other people compare you to? So I had trouble with this one. I asked six different people and I only got one crossover, which is Rapunzel from Tangled, who technically isn't in a musical yet. It's a musical. It's a musical movie. That, that yeah. counts. We've done musical movies before. We'll take it. Yeah. Well, my singing teacher had a good one. She said, you have the fire of Joe Marsh, the practicality of the baker's wife and the persistence of Veruca Salt. <laughs> That is a dynamic combination. Are you saying that Joe Marsh isn't practical? No, I think it's just that I think the baker's wife is more practical. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, interesting. That is, how do you feel about the Veruca salt? Just a touch of salt. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think she's probably just like, I am determined to a crazy <laughs> level. So I think probably more the determination than the other parts of the personality, hopefully. Yeah, so you got a lot of answers to who other people would compare you to. Who would you like to be compared to? Matilda, because literally all she does is sing, read, write, learn and fight injustice, basically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Okay. A life well spent. What is your dream role? Jerusha now- Abbott and Daddy Longlegs. Nice. So that was very quick. I was going to say, it's like yeah, you, you've probably aged out of Matilda, but that's a good answer. Yeah. Well, she's just she's probably the best written legit soprano in musical theatre. She's intelligent, passionate, independent, creative, selfless. I mean, how many major roles of females in musicals ingenues sit there and go, hmm, which type of socialism am I into? None. <laughs> What, okay, well, uh, uh, this is just a question for me. This isn't part of the quiz. What kind of socialism are you into? I'm not particularly, <laughs> actually, um, broadly politically educated, but I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm very. That was a nice dodge. Nice dodge. <laughs> Move on quickly. I'm not educated enough to <laughs> declare myself a socialism. Uh, what is your favourite Sondheim show? Into the Woods. Nice. Well, uh, Baker's Wife, of course. Yeah, I was just, it's, it's borderline flawless. Like, I use flawless very rarely, but everything about it is just impeccably constructed. And it probably yeah. has some of the best life lessons in almost any musical ever. Like, it's one of the best. Absolutely. It's, uh, right. it's very well, like, every aspect of it is well written into the other aspects of it. Yeah. Mm. What is your go-to shower song at the moment? Probably literally anything from Legally Blonde, because it just makes me feel really good and empowered, and it's fun and upbeat. All right. It's Fair. a good shower time, Legally yeah. Blonde, I have to say. Lots of belting. So that's, that's good for a shower, right? That's great for the shower. Yeah. yeah. Also housework. I, there was literally a time period where I just, I could not motivate myself to vacuum unless I was listening to Elle Woods while I was doing it. Yeah. Nice. That's fair. Feminism. Do you have, do you, <laughs> do you have flashbacks now whenever Legally Blonde comes on to vacuum times? No, I'm just too distracted by Laura Bell Bundy because she is an actual goddess. And finally, what is the one musical that you would delete from existence? Okay, I'll preface this by saying that I firmly believe that even if I hate a show passionately, that every musical has a lot of value to someone. Um, but I think I even would... if it is only the person who wrote it for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> yeah. unless it's like a horrible, you know, maybe a historical show that's like super super racist. But I couldn't think of, oh. I couldn't think of a ton. Um, <laughs> but like of shows that I'm aware of, probably On Your Feet, the Gloria Esteban musical, because it was like more times like a concert than a musical, and there's like some really cool stuff that happened in her life that sort of got skipped over, like her rehabilitation after a serious accident. All right. Um, well, I was gonna say, what do you have against Gloria? Esteban, but it seems like you're doing this for Gloria Esteban. Not enough Gloria. We need more Gloria. I would delete it so it could be remade. Nice. All right. That's that's actually a pretty unique take. I don't think we've had anyone deleting a show so that they could remake it before. Uh, Excellent. Well, that is everything there is to know about you. Let's take a break and we'll come back with everything there is to know about Finding Neverland. Finding Neverland. Now, Merrily, we don't tell people this, but you have two minutes to give us a rundown of the plot of Finding Neverland. What it's about, who's in it, and why. No, just the plot. Yeah. Who are the characters? (laughs) What do they do? (laughs) What is their journey? Cool. Yeah. And where do they do that? Uh, Do we have a timer up and ready? I have a timer. It's set for two minutes, and I have no idea what sound will happen at the end of that time. Well, let's hope we don't even get there. Merrily, your time (laughs) starts right now. 
Cool. So Finding Neverland is basically like the real life story of J.M. Barry, who is the person who wrote the play and then the book Peter Pan. Um, it's set in the early 1900s and basically he's already a really successful Scottish playwright um, and he's having an existential crisis about his work. He's like, I don't like anything I'm making. I'm lacking inspiration. Um, and then he meets a widowed woman, Sylvia Llewellyn Davies and her four sons. And basically they pr- sort of burst into his life with inspiration and get him playing again and he sort of gets the idea to start writing Peter Pan um, and gets really close to the family, sort of using play and imagination also to help them cope with the death of their father, which has impacted them all in very different ways. Um, But eventually sort of like Barry's ideas, which are sort of like outlandish for the time, you know, people flying all over the stage and this weird stuff in Peter Pan. Amazing though. Um, And sort of his growing feelings for Sylvia put him at odds with people in his life, like his producer, who doesn't want to produce the play, uh, his wife, who can tell that he's falling in love with this woman even though there's you know nothing untoward for the time period um and it sort of throws everything into chaos so the focus of the show is basically exploring imagination grief love and sort of watching as he discovers neverland quite literally in the story and within his own life as well mm-hmm. easy and time to spare oh gosh um so much <laughs> 35 seconds excellent yeah so this is it's of course it's based on a movie of the same of the same name. It is um, famously starring Johnny Depp. Yeah, uh, very famously starring Johnny Depp. Uh, the musical doesn't though. Um, Star Johnny Depp. Correct. No. At least I could not find any record of Johnny Depp having performed <laughs> in the musical. I tell you what though, there are a lot of people who have. The cast was a bit of a um, what are they one of those doors the revolving door. A revolving yeah. door. That's the one. Um, the show actually started out with a completely different team and I mean like the writers as well um it it had the the adaption of the film had uh, a bit of an airing I suppose at um the Jola Playhouse in California um with a, a completely different book a completely different score um a different director and choreographer um And that reading, which it essentially was, um, had a whole bunch of great names in it. Mm. And then they were like, "Uh, uh, 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 no, no. That's it. Scrap the lot. (laughs) Let's try again. New music. Just completely (laughs) rolled the team and came up with something very different. So um, some interesting names still in the writing team of this. Uh, Gary Barlow. Who knows who Gary Barlow is? He's... Which one was it? Five? No. Nope. Uh, it was a British one, right? <laughs> yes. It was a British boy band. Yes. Take that. Take that. Gary Barlow from Take That and um, a producer of pop music who right. has worked with Take That and a bunch of amazing other people um, called Elliot Kennedy. So Gary Barlow and Elliot Kennedy wrote the um, music and lyrics together. Um, they did keep a couple of songs from the previous production, but I... So who, who wrote the previous ones? Were they... Um, Scott Frankel and Michael Corrie, who are not nearly as famous as Gary Barlow. <laughs> okay. But so were they also like pop people? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they were theatre people and, you know, just like, nah, don't need you anymore. The other change they made was to go with um, a choreographer who particularly at that time had come off this big, um, lots of work on So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, US, Leah okay. Michelle. Leah, is that her name? Not Leah Michelle. Not Leah we? Michelle. <laughs> she has a similar name. Oh, God, now I can't find it. Help! 
Uh, I, I don't know why you're looking for this. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I'll find it later. So you've seen this. You've seen this, Marilyn. Yes. You saw it on Broadway. Yes. And so by the time it got to Broadway, it was in its third iteration. Wait, so did Barlow not write... Team. Okay, yes. so yeah. Barlow did write the Broadway one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so what What did you think? It was just it was just exceptional. Like, in terms of particularly the crafting of it, I don't think I've ever seen a show that is that tight. Mm. Like, the choreography, everything. Particularly a show involving, you know, four child actors. I've never seen anything that was that clean and tight in the way it was executed. But also, it's just a very well-written story, particularly given that it was written you know the music was and lyrics were written by someone who doesn't necessarily have a huge musical theater background yeah it's still yeah yeah, it doesn't come across that way at all like I didn't know that until after I went to see it but it's just it's a very moving piece I think it works across quite a few different age demographics really well and it tackles some stuff that's like quite dark but not in a you know really tragic sort of way yeah the way that some musicals do I did read a quote that um it, it was from a review saying that somehow they they made you feel like the death at the end sorry spoilers was a happy ending yeah in a way it wasn't like it was it was a positive spirit. like it was very sad like you cry and cry when you watch it but at the same time at the very end you feel uplifted and I really like that because although there's definitely a place for tragic musicals with a sad ending I think given the age demographic it's targeted at and it's source material it's a really good sort of place to end up with a way that's uplifting particularly given you know some of what happened in real life actually ended up being sad so um, two of the there were actually five boys but it was sort of like they were made together closer in age two of those boys eventually committed suicide one of whom when he was quite young and one who was much older um so I think it's kind of nice that they finished it in a place that was really uplifting and there's still hope mm. if that makes sense yes. rather than rather than an ending like Les Mis which is you know the perfect thing for Les Mis but maybe not for a show that you're kind of hoping to have six-year-olds at are you saying six-year-olds should not be going to see Les Mis because uh, <laughs> I've made some errors? <laughs> um, yeah, How many no, six-year-olds totally have you point. taken to see Les Mis? <laughs> well, producers wouldn't let you, you know, regardless regardless <laughs> yeah. of how much I think, you know, mental health and that sort of issue should be tackled with younger audiences. At this stage, they're really not going to stage anything yeah. that they're going to yeah. let young people so see. was it aimed at children? Was this show written for children or family audiences? I think definitely family audiences. Like the way it was targeted was very much a family audience. But I went to see it at the age of 17 um, with my mother and we both thoroughly enjoyed it. And Were I there think... any children in the audience? Oh, yeah, no, there definitely were children in the audience. <laughs> yeah. It's a, very, it's a very fun show. Like it's an oddly fun show. It reminds me of T- Matilda in that way in that there's actually quite some dark stuff in there, but mm. it still leaves you with these really positive emotions in response to it, which I think is you know is really valuable yeah so had had you seen the movie before you went to see the musical I still haven't seen the movie (laughs) interesting it's just so perfect and my memories of it are so perfect that I can't imagine you know watching watching a different version of it I might at some point well have you seen the film I have yes I have but I don't remember it I did not remember which I think bodes for how (laughs) exceptional the film might have been but it is interesting that someone wanted to make that film into a musical so much that it went through three creative teams or three iterations yeah. and two whole creative teams. Yeah. Um, Julie's not here, but... Oh, I've, I have also... Oh, oh no. Is it the same one? Is it from the New York Times? You go and uh, maybe I'll follow, I'll follow Look, up. it's not as scathing as it could be, <laughs> but this is a bad review, reviews with Zane because Julie's not here. Uh, Do you need a song? 
Uh, sure. Bad reviews with Zane. Yep, no, I deserve that. Um, <laughs> so this is from the the New York Times, uh, written by Ben Brantley. Um, I love Ben Brantley. Yep, so it's not. It's kind of quietly dismissive. Uh, the stage version of Finding Neverland is no replica of the film, though it might have been better if it were. Oh. Instead, it heightens the screenplay sentimentality, tidy psychologizing, psychologize, psychologizing. Yeah, Ben loves big words and life-affirming messengers by thickening their syrup and corn quotients in ways presumably deemed palatable to theatre-going children and their parents. The show brings to mind those supersized sodas sold in movie theatres, which Mayor Michael Bloomberg once quixotically campaigned against. Nice little political jab in a theatre review, Ben. Um, But yeah, basically saying they dumbed down the movie to make it a little bit more happy family fare rather than the kind of... I don't, uh, I don't... I wouldn't say they dumbed it down. I, I I definitely see what he's saying about, you know, they've they've put a little bit of candy coating on it. Yeah, yeah. But I, like Merrily was saying, I think that's sort of their intention. They were trying to really bring out the joy and the childlike... And maybe there's less of that in the film. I mean, you say candy. He, he literally goes on to call it made up of empty calories. Oh. <laughs> I think there's a subtlety too. Like, I yeah. think... This obviously this work is not like Dear Evan Hansen. It's not about mental health. Yeah, but you have yeah. characters in this show who are quite clearly suffering from depression. It's There's, just never called out. Yeah, it's yeah. never specifically called out as that. But you even watch them. It's you know it's more sort of framed as grief than depression. Although some of them definitely did suffer from depression. We know that. Yeah. The yeah. you know character Peter was based on suffer from depression. But I don't know. Given the audiences that you're dealing with, it might actually be a good way, particularly with younger people, to start a discussion based on that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to sort of, you know, build onto that to stuff that might be more serious, particularly if you're dealing with, you know, younger children who may not quite understand, understand, you know, probably not really young children, people who are only starting to get a grip on the concept of death. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a lot in here for, for the adult audience as well, though. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with the book. I've only listened to the soundtrack, mm. but um, particularly in the... the the choice of words. Like, I think the lyrics have, have in part been chosen carefully and in part not. And this was one of the things that I, I was talking to Zane earlier about. It, it sort of feels like you've got these two pop writers who have written some great pop songs that have some really great sentiment and feel to them. And it sort of sits with half the score in that space and the uh, and these other half of the score in a very musical theater da, 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 here's some sequence and jazz hands kind of space and mm. i i kind of feel like they should have gone with one or the other i do we know but maybe you, that's just that the way i'm listening to it part of the reworking because they did leave some of the original the original version songs yeah, yeah. in it so maybe they are the more broadway-esque Perhaps. if they were written by broadway people and then the pop, the more poppy songs are the ones that they augmented it with. Yeah. Um, I can't speak to that. I, I too couldn't find any like listing of like which song of came which from Of which was where. which, yeah. yeah. Which is so weird. I think by the time they got through the third iteration with the second production team that there had been so many hands in it that it was sort of <laughs> like, I don't really know who wrote what anymore. Yeah. Um, the review that I found was from The Hollywood Reporter and I'll just give you a small snippet. snippet. Um, bombastic, bombastic and exhausting. 
Okay. The show confuses childishness with an affinity for the child inside. So, again, I think they just didn't quite cotton on to the type of, of joy and innocence that, yeah. that they were trying to fill the show with. That's the thing. The thing about Peter Pan for me is, and when, especially when you're reading about J.M. Barry's uh, relationships with the people that um, were in featured in in the musical mm. and the way he wrote it, like it was a much more people romanticized emotion so much more, and I think that is part of the discussion about uh, mental health that they have is like the the melancholy of depression was to some extent romanticized into like it's uh, such a big feeling we need to pay attention to yeah. it in 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 a positive way um, when devastated real- <laughs> ladies sighing in the corner yeah yeah know, was seen as oh aren't they beautiful and tragic yeah like, and I oh. think J.M. Barry, <laughs> Barry himself did something to kind of uh, play into the positive sides of grief and dealing with those sorts of things. And I think that's something that at least the movie does try to deal with a little bit. And from your your reports, the, the musical doesn't shy away from it. Um, but I think that is something that doesn't really play well when you look at it through a modern context because mm. we're like, mental health is a problem. Uh, and we should be treating it seriously. <laughs> well, yeah, like stop romanticizing it, and yeah, and, and kind of approach it. It's, it's a lot. It's a both both Ben Brantley's and what you were saying before. Like they sound like very like no, this is just candy coating, really. Um, I, I disagree. Whereas um, that's the thing. Like I, think, I humbly disagree. <laughs> I, I think I can only speak from watching the movie, but the movie does deal in a very deal with mental illness in a very deft deft way and age age appropriate for children as well. So. Um, I found the choreographer's name. It's Mia Michaels. Mia Michaels. Yes. Very similar to Lily Very Michelle. well known for her um, contemporary dance routines on So You Think You Can Dance. So is she a competitor or one of the no, teachers? No, a the choreographer, choreographer yeah. on the show. Cool. Yeah. Um, she was well applauded during that show and obviously outside the show too, but that's just where I think her, the international recognition probably comes in a public sense yeah. from her. Um, do we want to have a quick chat about the uh, the amazing names that have come and gone from this <laughs> cast? Oh, my God, yes. Let's. Um, let's go all the way back to uh, 2011 at the Playhouse in California. Um, this was with the previous team um, uh, reading, which included Julian Ovenden, Kelly O'Hara, <laughs> Tony Roberts, <laughs> Mary Beth Peel, Michael Cumpsty, and Meredith Patterson. Um, obviously, Kelly O'Hara is probably the biggest name in there, but yeah. Julian Ovenden isn't unknown. He's one of those, you look at him and you go, oh, that's so, so familiar. And then you start looking into you and you go, ah, oh, that guy. Just everywhere. Just everywhere. Um, and then Mr. Weinstein got on board. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate to say that Harvey Weinstein um, was the producer um, when it moved into um, the American Repertory Theatre, also known as Art, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I don't know why I went English. I think it's the word Cambridge, <laughs> Cambridge. does it to me. Yeah. And repertory is also a very British thing. <laughs> yes. They did is. premiere it at the Curve in um, Leicester, though. So it was like the sort of, not the proper premiere, but the mm. reading that they did was in the UK. Uh-huh. And then it moved back. Right. That's probably a smart choice because um, the I think the English really love owning this story. Yes. Yeah. It's one of the, like, this is our It's thing. their Mickey Mouse. Peter <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um uh, so at that point, uh, Brian Darcy James 
played um, Barry. Jason Alexander played the um, theatre producer. And then in the next workshop, um, Matthew Morrison was was meant to be playing Barry, which um, he then did... The Broadway run. The Broadway run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at some one point, Jeremy Jordan was announced as Barry. Um Laura Michelle Kelly as Sylvia, the woman in the story. Roger Bart uh, was supposed to play the producer at some point. Can we um, talk about Dame Shirley Bassey? Dame Shirley Bassey. <laughs> um, she appeared uh, in a, like, um, they just did some songs from it. I yeah, think. it was it a, wasn't the Queen's a, birthday a celebration. Production. Yeah, and that also had Alfie Bow in it, who did the um, London production, I believe. It hasn't opened, so they announced it, but I'm not sure that and it ever it went ahead. Oh. It should, though. It definitely should. Um, I feel like I've missed one. Kelsey Grammer, um, also as the producer. And there was another name that I was like, why is that name just hiding in the, in the back there? Oh, oh, wait, I found it. It's actually two names. Guys, are you ready for this? No, I don't Jack think I am. Jack and Jill. Are you talking about Adam Sandler? I'm talking about dogs, guys. <laughs> you know I love dogs. Yeah, and yeah. this show... So, Peter Pan in Pantomime, the dog in, in the story, Nana, is often played by uh, an actor in a dog suit. Yes. And the... Um, the workshop productions had an actor in a dog suit. But when you saw it on Broadway, you saw... Dogs. Reels. <laughs> dogs. Um, so uh, the the dog cast in the role of Nana was Jack. Um, <laughs> Jack is from the Dawn Animal Agency. He was a rescue dog um, and he was adopted with his sister, Jill, who is the understudy. And can I just... Um, Jack is famous, by the way. He's done a campaign for Febreze and connected to that um, identity as the Febreze dog, he's also been in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He's like legit famous. Um, okay. <laughs> But I just want to share this that I found about Jill. Okay, Jill is quite eager for her chance to shine on Broadway. And last week, when Jack had a little pinch in his hip, she was overheard whispering, This is it. This is it. Her handler, Bambi Brooke, admits to be a little worried that Jill might push Jack down the stairs. Sibling rivalry is clearly not only a human quirk. I just love dogs so much. Okay, I all right. Share that with That's you. fine. That's well, fine. Is there anything else we'd like to say before we move on to lessons we've learned? Do you think dogs were not enough? No. Well, I mean, like playing Miss Bassett was actually Jessica Vosk, I think, at least for part of the Broadway run as well, hey, there which you is go. like a tiny, tiny role. But it's just it's the only time I've ever seen Jessica Vosk, which is <laughs> such a tragedy. Yeah. So that was in that no, that was the original Broadway cast. 2015 mm. was Jessica Vosk. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, let's take a short break, and we'll come back with the lessons we've learned from Finding Neverland. Alright, so what have we learned from this musical slash movie? Anything? Anything at all? Probably at the very start, you get the very clear success in commercial success does not equal happiness. Fair. Yeah, I, I guess that is kind of a, a running theme throughout the whole the whole thing because of the the. I'm not sure if it's true that J.M. Barry's was a failing author before Peter Pan, but in the in the text he definitely is. So that's definitely a big big thing. I think actually from memory he was like wildly successful but hated his own work. Yeah, yeah, that's what I read as well. That he was like quite popular. He just wasn't happy with what he was writing. Um, so I guess that's. 
that's also something you learn. I learned a lot about GM Barry himself because I always get uh, Frank L. Baum and GM Barry mixed up. Uh, Baum Frank L. Baum is, is Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Oz. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. So this definitely taught me a lot about uh, the the author himself. Yeah, I think it's like it's it's mostly something they focus on in the first bit because you yeah. know when you're constructing a drama, you need a major you know your character start out with some sort of major struggle, and mm. so the first act is sort of him grappling with writer's block and the fact that he doesn't you know doesn't like the work that he's producing, um, and then you know the kids burst in and that sort of becomes a different challenge and it's all about getting it staged and then you know later in the plot, spoiler alert, um, the you know his sort of love interest character mm. becoming ill and then them all sort of having to grapple with the grief that they've sort of been managing through art and play and imagination and escapism all over again um but yeah in the sort of start of the show it's very much very much a focus you know he's he's in the lyrics uh, sort of mentioned alongside bernard shaw and oscar wilde because charles froman which is the producer's name is sort of like you know the creme de la creme of producers um and still he's at a point where you know his wife's like why aren't you happy and he's like i don't know i just he doesn't know what he wants to do and what he wants to make and it's not until these sort of children come into his life that the way he approaches art completely changes yeah i think that there's something it says about the use of art to explore uh emotion as well because like like you said at the, at the very start it plays like the rather tragic ending off as an almost happy ending um with with mm. the mother who spoiler alert passes away going to neverland yeah. um in a, in a rather rather touching moment yeah exactly that's how we're just observing Aww. an image yeah if you could send that through we'll post it on social i totally it's will it was image. it was the most beautiful stylized death i've ever seen on stage so when yeah. when sylvia dies basically she's sick and they come to her bedside and perform the play um which didn't happen to her in real life but did happen to the son when he was sick but then recovered right. but then you know they're sitting there performing it because it's opening night and she missed the show because she's so she's sick dying of cancer um and then it's sort of like the end of that what happens is the stage is filled with like gold from get confetti like pixie dust mm. and she like flies out the window so they sort of take it as as it was really in his in his own life a metaphor for death because Barry also lost one of his siblings when he was very young and part of the idea of the story came from there as well so there's a lot of using imagination to deal with emotions and death and I think kind of one of the things I like about it is that it doesn't make it straightforward like it's not as though oh okay I found imagination now and everything is fine yeah um with the you know the uh I think it's one of the younger son but Peter you know he shuts himself off from writing an imagination completely Mm. as a coping mechanism um and then he sort of like like opens himself up a little bit again and then his mother gets sick and he just goes straight back into when your feet don't touch the ground which is the saddest song in the show except <laughs> perhaps the finale um and they talk about their sort of differing ways of dealing with grief because jm barry is the opposite he pours himself into mm. his imagination in these story worlds as sort of as a sort of method with or method of coping with death it's a way uh, of processing it yeah. into a place of joy yeah and that's i i, I think that's the the big message that we get particularly in that second half and the way that last final de- mm. death is dealt with. And I like it too because it's not even even in spite of the time period, you know, they don't make it a religion focused thing, even though in that time period people it definitely was, yes, yeah. it would have been a religious focused thing. They base it around that story. So I think in in the finale they talk about uh, they 
talk about the idea of you know she's she's in Neverland now, um, but she she exists in your imagination and your dreams and your feelings. And um, I I lost a friend who was a castmate recently, mm. and I was singing that song one day and just started bawling my eyes out because a, a lot like in the show we had shared um, an immersive show we did together, and it was all about play and improvisation and imagination. And this person yeah, was yeah. very like you know almost like a father figure to some of us in the group, and he was the most generous and caring and playful person. And I think honoring sort of the way that people have existed in our own lives is a very valid way of coping with grief because mm. even when someone no longer exists in the world the impact that they have left on other people is irrevocable and that's sort of I think a non-religious but very powerful way of looking at grief particularly yeah, when particularly when you're young children and you've got the sort of you know metaphor of Neverland but it's you know it's actually really moving to watch in person as well because oh, just, I was crying so hard at the end of that <laughs> show but I didn't feel hopeless yeah, and I think yeah. I really enjoyed that because because it does, you know, it leaves you with this sort of. It, it is interesting that you bring up uh, religion because it, it is a very non-religious show, but it, it does. It is kind of really a, a a great example of the power of mythology. Like even just for the audience, rather than like removing it from the effect of mythology and what it has on the characters and in the story, just you saying that there is like the power of this mythology affecting you personally, even years after you've seen the show. That's that's really really something amazing. That that, that yeah that some, that can have that effect um, both in the narrative and outside the narrative um, knowing that it is narrative but that's not cheapening the effect that it ha- that it's having on you yeah yeah exactly and it doesn't I think I like one of the things I like I mean I know they don't co- cope with mental health in a really obvious way but it's not it's not one size fits all it's not mm. oh okay everyone has a ma- imagination now and then therefore everyone is happy like in real life people you know go back and they struggle and you know even Sylvia has her own way of coping with her own terminal illness and it's very much living in the present yeah which is you know can be can be a healthy coping mechanism um but they all have their own variously healthy ways of coping with it but they also sort of manage to collectively find some sort of solace in that sort of you know in that sort of story and imagination and mythology that provides all of them um a measure of comfort which I think is really valuable you know it's they they call it saccharin I definitely wouldn't call it saccharin but it's not it's not a happily ever after musical but at the same time it's one that doesn't leave you feeling sad it yeah. leaves you mm. feeling hopeful and comforted in a, yeah. in a really potent way I, I think they're definitely like there is a kind of person that would see that message and feel that it is saccharine because it's just writing something off as that but I think yeah that's definitely not the intention and there is so many other kinds of people that get more from it um, um, just as a side note to move on a little <laughs> uh, all that glitter must be a stage manager's nightmare <laughs> at the very least it's confetti Ugh. so it's sweepable like it's not tiny glitter oh, it's all sticky but... it's all sticky um i did I maybe did... it's just magical glitter that doesn't stick <laughs> i did learn uh while doing a bit of research about this episode that um jay and barry got a little creative himself with the um the names he used so the He's he's like used the name of the wrong son. Is that like why why would he do that? So out of the boys that in the family that inspired the story, um, there is a Peter, but the Peter was actually quite a mature young man, um, and it was actually Michael who was the one who had all this imagination and play. 
But he named it after Peter. Is it just because <laughs> Peter Pan was better alliteration? He couldn't think of something that went with Michael, or um, I think they, from memory, I think they also added in like a sibling or something like that in like later iterations. But Peter was very Peter was apparently like toddler age when he first met them. So Michael was very much um, part of the inspiration. I think in what they did in the show, they really when they constructed Peter's character, they took a fair bit of Michael's character and Peter's character and put them together because mm. they're both um, they're both the two sons who ended up committing suicide so they were like obviously quite strongly moved by some of the things that happened in their life um and also because they probably didn't have time to fully flesh out every single one of well they could have but they didn't they chose not to <laughs> focus on one yeah oh, it's, it's quite a long but it's not it's not like Liam is long um but I think they sort of combine them together I think it's probably more lesser his taking the name thing it's just it's a very common name it was 1900s yeah. it was alliterative not necessarily like people love to call him Peter Pan in the papers and apparently later in his life that like became quite distressing <laughs> um but i think it's more a case of pulling you know collective inspiration from them and also from his his younger brother who died as well who was a also a very strong inf- inspiration for peter pan the character um but yeah i think it was probably just a normal normal sort of naming thing although it's it's weird and confusing when you're trying to research it and be like wait <laughs> which like, one which oh, one was what, that i'm so confused <laughs> yeah, because they make it quite clear in the show in the dialogue from memory that Peter Pan is not really him. Like, Peter's like, it's not really me, is it? And it's, mm. yeah, it inferred that it's a large part of Barry himself and yeah. also his and passed away brother who passed on. There is a bit of um, yeah, show within the show going on throughout the musical. So there are actors, there's a, a company of actors who also play the Peter Pan roles. Um, so it isn't like the kid that plays Peter is also doubling as Peter Pan to emphasise the connection or it, it's actually not treated like that in the show, um, which they could have gone down that path mm. and I'm kind of glad they didn't because like you say, it, it wasn't a direct correlation of I've took, taken this this kid out of my life and put him here to keep him young forever. It That's yeah. not really what the show was about and I think it would have turned into that. It would have become a lot more Peter-focused rather than uh, about Barry and the relationship with that yeah, he built with the family. Definitely. Exactly. And there's some, you know, leave some room for some fun satire of theatre people too. Oh, yeah. And th- actually, they're some of the numbers I enjoyed the most. Um, uh, we didn't do favourite songs uh, earlier, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed those numbers. I think, and maybe because that's more the style of music theatre I'm into too. Yeah. And that dichotomy of the, the two styles of music, I sort of sit more in that Broadway jazz hands. <laughs> but I, I did really enjoy um, uh, the number to, in the second half toward the end is the duet between Barry and Sylvia. Mm. What you mean to me. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. And does sound a little bit like Take That could have sung it. <laughs> It's very pretty, and it gets reprised in the uh, sorry, not in the finale in um, uh, Neverland, the sort of reprisey bit where they do the story and she's dying, and basically she reprises the melody of that and sort of because the way they talk about what you mean to me is quite you know sensory, all the things and all the colors, all the sound sounds from all the lovers, something along those lines, mm-hmm. and then she's you know describing moving through space in this sort of like dreamlike, slightly odd, but you know when she's sort of processing the fact that she's dying, um, and it's it's really nice because you get the melody from that and the melody from the lullaby that she she sings to her children during that same song so yeah. you're sort of like you know she's passing away and you're mm. m- it's musically reviving all the feelings that she's had for the people so around beautiful. her that she cares the most oh. um i did find a um educator's guide with a whole bunch of lessons that you were supposed to learn from this show okay um in the form of essay questions 
So would you like to now sure. short answer, please? Okay. No, no essays. essays. No, no essays. essays. Yeah, I'm not an essay person, she says, with like <laughs> six pages she of She says six pages of notes. She's fine. One of them is a picture. So, um, yeah. Um, what turning points do you think determine our individual pathways to adulthood? It's a deep question. Death of parents. Oh, yeah. Okay, that was short. Yeah, you really um, took the short answer. Well, you wanted a short... I, yeah. I can give you an essay. Marily, do you have an answer? <laughs> I think... The turning points. Sort of determine. when your childishness goes away. So when you're like, I remember, oh, I think I was six or seven years old, and the time that I sort of like... It occurred to me the fact that I was one day going to die, which was deeply traumatising. <laughs> but I think also when you get sort of... Probably a little bit before your teens, you sort of get inducted to the idea of the world. It's like, oh, okay, children die of cancer and women are sexually assaulted. And you're sort of like... you. Know, you're getting this is great yeah you're getting removed from that like idealized that idealized version of, of the world yeah. and you're yeah. so when the real world slaps you in the face that yeah. you believe that's a turning point yeah okay great um does growing up mean the loss of innocence depends on your definition of innocence <laughs> you were just speaking of like that's a turning point i but does net growing up necessarily mean loss of innocence i mean it depends does innocence rely on the fact that you have like you have no hope like if that's I, I think innocence and hope aren't necessarily the same thing i would say innocence is about continuing to have hope mm. in the face of or perhaps because you're not recognizing the i don't know the reality um, of the it situation? suggests that an in-depth analysis of the song when your feet don't touch the ground will assist you in answering this question oh that's one of my favorites that's probably my favorite song in <laughs> in the whole show as in whether you agree with the thesis of the song or not <laughs> well, it's, yes yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because you get very quite clearly in in that song um you get the two opposing viewpoints of barry's like this is this is my life philosophy mm. and then peter's like um my feet are on the ground and this inner voice i've found tells the truth that there's no use for your head in the clouds you very clearly get that sort of loss of innocence but you also sort of watch them recapture it as they go on so peter in real life the peter peter not the michael peter yeah. um <laughs> became became with barry's help became a publisher and he published a couple of things about some of his more like interesting relatives who were like writers and actors and stuff um so you sort of watch him recapture that in a way where he's still aware of everything that's going on because again at the end of the show his other major parent dies but you don't necessarily see the loss of like the childlike qualities so innocence in the literal definition of you know naivete yeah maybe so but not necessarily in the positive qualities that come along with that like play and imagination and hope hope's an important one uh, we can do one more quick one, very quick. Can we? How does perspective <laughs> influence attitude? Oh, this is a good one. Because the, the, throughout the whole show, um, they repeat this sort of like thing from the first song, which is the world turned upside down. Um, and in, in the show, it sort of like talks through shift of perspective. So it's not necessarily a negative thing. Like the, when he's talking about the moment you've been waiting all your life for, um, that's sort of like the catalyst that changed his life and it's the world turning upside down. And mm. that gets repeated throughout the show when, you know, when we have big catalysts in the plot and everything shifts. So, you know, he's at the start, he's a playwright, he's very unhappy, and then the world shifts because he meets these people. Um, and that sort of changes his perspective on what art can be because he never really wrote 
anything approaching Peter Pan's not really pantomime but it got influenced by pantomime because pantomime yes, was already yeah. sort of there um, and then you know it, it shifts again when he realises you know he's basically at the end of act one he has like this internalised and extremely stylized existential crisis or panic attack or something along those lines where he's basically fighting Hook inside his head which is sort of the manifestation of in some ways negative emotions but is also like compelling him forward it's not like a straightforward thing but you get yeah. that sort of shift in perspective as well needs an antagonist and that <laughs> sometimes that yeah. antagonist is in your own he does double as Charles Froman the producer though which yeah. is which is uh, one of the doublings that I do think is really effective yeah um and then you know you constantly things sort of like when your feet don't touch the ground reminds me of like you know the rug being pulled from under your feet which happens a lot and throughout the show so I think the way that being able to shift your perspective without losing your sense of identity mm. or without you know giving into despair is probably a really important part of the show because they constantly bring that motive motif back cool there you go I have extended this segment into the one hour long I'm not even hosting and I'm still stretching it <laughs> I'm out I'm going to play some music and we're going to move on just remember on no one ever Dreamcast. really grows up if they believe in the magic of wonder Let us take some time to wonder about who would be best cast in this show. So, Marley, do you have strong feelings on this subject? I thought about it a lot. I really, really love the OBC. Like, yeah. they're completely amazing. I didn't get to see Kelsey Grammer, which made me sad, but every... Like, I, I didn't actually realise how talented Matthew Morrison was until I saw that, because my only, like, experience with him was in Glee. Yeah. Which is, you know, his performance in that is still really good, but it's not as it's probably as complex. Yeah. <laughs> it's also not as complex, you know. And, oh God, I hate it when people do accents badly, and he did a really, 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 really good job, which made me so happy. But um, beyond the OBC, probably, to be honest, stealing people from previous iterations like um i love mary beth peel and also kelly o'hara or like jeremy jordan who at one point played him for development kelly o'hara in, um, in, as sylvia but if i had to like not take anyone who's already done it um i think aaron Vate as barry sarah bodges as sylvia carolyn o'connor as um mrs dumarie <gasps> carolyn o'connor that's carolyn a o'connor she's um that's sylvia's mother who mm. who just despises Barry. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. an artistic fellow. <laughs> it reminded me heavily of the role Carolina kind of played um, the Countess in Anastasia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm like, you yeah, know, there's some <laughs> there's some overlap there that would be really, really great. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see a Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. take on Barry. He made my list as well. Um, I, just my whole opinion of him changed after seeing clips of him doing Sunday in the Park. Mm. And I, it, maybe it's the style of the period that makes me think, ah, yes. I also think that he is an actor first so he can definitely carry the pathos of of Barry Um, along similar lines uh, they're both a bit older and a bit weird casting I think but Christian Ball I think for Barry Mm -hmm. um, could do well because he also has played larger than life characters um, but also Lin-Manuel I I think could also do a decent Barry interesting take yeah that would be interesting too because Laura Michelle Kelly who played um, the OBC Sylvia was actually I think I think the first but one of the major Mary Poppins in the UK right in the stage version yeah 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 so it's very much a you know (laughs) plucking people out of out of Mary Poppins and those sort of like similar similar sort of shows Um, Jason Alexander as 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 the hook um, producer, I think it was a great was a great choice. Like he he was in one of the More readings, of I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think he would be great. Um, but having said that, I also think uh, Nathan Lane would be a fun yes. a fun Captain Hook. Yeah, um, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like yes, they play the producer, but they also play Hook. So 
so that that is that's that's a fun one to think about. Anyone else? Um, the kids I don't are feel the kids. Super strong. Like, yeah, really. yeah, children are children. Any talented child. Yeah. Um, sorry, the Mary Poppins thing just hit me with like, oh yeah, that woman. And now I can't think of her name. Anyway, she's really amazing. Ma- she's really amazing. It's like it's fun to watch a character like Sylvia because she's like, you know, she's not an Angelica Schuyler, extremely modernized heroine, but at the same time, you've got someone who has a lot of quiet strength, mm. who's dealing with a hell of a lot and depression, and four young children as a widow in the 1900s, which is like, you know, really intense. And I kind of, I kind of enjoy watching characters like that that take that there are a different approach I mean I absolutely adore and think we need many 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 more like you know Joe March style heroines yeah but I also think that there's something really valuable in seeing characters like that who are contrasting you know contrasting version of mm. approach to being a woman without you know being a complete stereotypical ingenue yes, yes. And, and also not like having their story be the challenge to the system where her, her story was like her struggle and she happens to be this strong character. Exactly. Yeah. I have found it the Australian Mary Poppins Verity Hunt Ballard. As Sylvia? Yeah. Okay. I would quite enjoy that. All right. Well, let's play another piece of music and go for our top five lists. If you were to put Finding Neverland on a top five list, what is one of the top five lists that you would put it on? I have a bunch of ideas, but I also had a list of five fun facts for, about Peter Pan if you want them Do it. at some point. Okay, right so now. Quick. In, the, in the original <laughs> production, they created the Tinkerbell with a mirror, but they wrote like Jenny Wren, the fairy on the cast list. The government didn't get the joke and tried to tax her. <laughs> um, originally, the character could fly unaided. They only added fairy dust after children were getting hospitalized from jumping from their beds. <laughs> Um, J.M. Barry gave all the royalties from the play of Peter Pan to the Ormond Street Hospital. Um, and these are two weird ones about Captain Hook. Captain Hook went to Eton and he was also like canonically friends with Long John Silver because Treasure okay. Island was written of by a contemporary. Yeah, <laughs> necessary. Um, wait, those were just about Peter Pan. Yes. What are we doing? We're doing top five lists. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Top five famous dogs. <laughs> Jack and Jill. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can't name any others and I can only name Jack and Jill because you've literally just spoken about them. Um, Top five shows with dogs in them, maybe. Top five shows to replace an actor with a dog. Okay, yeah, because you would you, you you would struggle to replace Brutus with an actor um, in Legally Blonde. <laughs> um, top five Johnny Depp films to be transferred to the stage. Top five shows about grief and death. That's probably a more That's serious a one. one. <laughs> what other Johnny Depp movies have been transferred to the stage? I don't know. Surely Pirates of the Caribbean is on the way. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but probably. Benny and June would make a great stage show. Did Crybaby ever, was it a musical? Am I imagining that? Edward Scissorhands the musical. Pretty sure Crybaby's a musical, yeah. Yeah, because that's also Johnny Depp. Interesting. We'll have to figure, <laughs> audience, if you're listening to this, tell us what other Johnny Depp properties have made been made into musicals. Um, top five grief, grief about musicals about grief. I think that is a, a good top five list for this to be put on. Also, um, I, I think family. I would put it on top five family shows that are like actually not one hundred percent directed towards children that adults can also enjoy. I think it is there's as much for adults to enjoy as for children to enjoy. Yep, there's something saying. It's also in my top five Tony nomination snubs. Oh, snubs! Major like complete, snub. completely snub. No nominations. 
at all, which for a show of that quality, especially with like the design and the choreography, like what that, it was a bit was ridiculous. It? What year 2015. was it? 2015. 2015. Um, but, but yeah, no, like that, that is a big one for me. Lightning Thief was a big one for me because it's really, really good. And it was the only eligible musical with an original score and it still wasn't nominated despite being, again, really, really good. Um, um, I, I would actually put this on top five uh, musical deaths. For, oh, yeah. for the final the final uh, scene. Yeah, no, that was just sorry, probably one of the some... best deaths I've seen on stage. Definitely in a musical by far, yeah. and probably just including places. Just for some well. context on the Tony Awards, mm-hmm. um, Doctor Zhivago Fun Home took out um, best musical. Uh, Holler if you hear me, something rotten. That uh, it was a big year. Oh, it was competitive. Yeah, but it's more that it got nominated no. for nothing. Because like I, it probably had something to do with the fact that the scumbag now yeah, disgraced Weinstein, rapist yeah. producer Weinstein was pissing everyone off so he kept firing all the creative team um, so it's possible that that was a contributing factor yeah. but it was surprising that it wasn't even nominated for like design or choreography because both of those are some of the best that I've seen in shows outside of you know maybe like Matilda was probably one of the other best set designs I've ever seen but like yeah. the choreography was probably the best yeah, I've the, ever seen ever the choreography was always well uh, received in the reviews as was the design quite a few of the reviews mentioned the the design of the show, um, but, but they still yeah. performed at the Tonys, which is like yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> so weird. Come and sing a song, but we're giving you nothing. Yeah, which at is, which all. is really really nothing. that's what closed the show. Like there were no Tony <laughs> yeah, nominations, yeah. and also Matthew Morrison didn't get anything, and he did get nominated for both the Drama League and the Drama Desk Awards for that role. Interesting, which I think is earned because he was very good. It would be a competitive category. Yeah, but um, I was very. very I'm sorry, impressed. the King and I got a nomination for choreography. I also saw that it was it was really good, but again, I think Finding Neverland was like was like next level. Yeah, I imagine it would be. I mean, let's waltz in a circle. I'm I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I've done that waltz, and it's hard, and I'm sure it was lovely. But there's not a lot of choreography. Maybe the, in the play King within a play that would probably be my oh, guess. Oh yeah, because that's okay. like quite. Um, an American in Paris uh, actually took it out, and on the town was that year as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, major snub. Yeah, let's all move on. Let's move on. Well, that's 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 the end of the show. So, Merrily, have you got anything coming up that you might like to plug? Yes, I do. I finally get to perform for the first time <laughs> in like since February, which is great. Um, I'm actually moving to London at the end of the year to study music theatre at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Everyone um, moves to London. I no, know. congratulations, Look, that's great. I really <laughs> wanted I really want to do a course where I can both perform and devise musical theatre and that literally just doesn't exist in Australia. Correct. So yeah. I literally have to go to London because <laughs> it's one of the only places in the world that I can do it. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, Corona has killed all the grants and scholarships, basically. Um, so I'm holding a fundraising concert on the 13th of December. Um, basically, non-stop show tunes and it's like really broad. There's like Sondheim, Weather, Disney, rock musicals, Golden Age, Cutting Edge stuff. Basically someone for anyone who likes show tunes. Awesome. So 13th of December. Yes. And whereabouts? It is TBC. Um, okay. But yes. Um, we will put links in the show notes if you can send them through to me. Yes, I absolutely great. will. Yeah. Um, but yes, and uh, you can also, if you can't come, you can also support my crowdfunding campaign if you'd like. Do um, it. Yes. Because everyone needs to go to London, apparently. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, so if you want to find out more about us, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find us online at that'smartcanon.com. Uh, 
forward slash MTMEIK. If you want to become one of the best people in the world and get access to our free patron-only episodes, you can find us patrons, on Patreon. Patrons, At patreon.com forward slash musicals taught me everything I know. And you can email us at musicals taught me podcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell your friends and tell everyone that you'll ever do a musical with ever that we exist. Thank you very much for coming and telling us all about Finding Neverland Merrily. You're very welcome. It was a great time. Thank you for joining me this episode, Miranda. This epic episode of length and things. We You're welcome. kept it under an hour. Thank you very much. You're welcome, audience. I've been Zane C. Weber. Keep listening to musicals and tell us what you think about our top five lists. Bye. 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 When was the last time you watched a Disney movie? No. When did you really watch one of their early movies? My name is Jen. I started re-watching every one of the Disney animated feature films recently, and watching them with a modern eye made me say, oof, right in the childhood. Join me every Monday to learn the history behind each of these movies. And then, after I talk about the history and trivia for that movie, I'll summarize and react to my experience watching it as a modern feminist. Every week, you'll learn something, you'll laugh a little, and you'll realize that your Disney steep childhood was rife with hidden sexism, racism, classism, ableism, and more. It really will make you say, oof, right in the childhood. Uh, that's not kind of Productions podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 